Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Gianna Melillo, Associate Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. The COVID-19 pandemic has led to an unprecedented boom in telehealth use, especially when it comes to services provided for mental health. With the combined toll of a global pandemic, economic hardships, and protracted grief, Americans' mental health has jumped to the forefront of the national conversation. A recent analysis published by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts illustrates this seismic shift in care delivery and demand for mental health services. Researchers compiled claims data from March through December of 2019 and compared it with the same time frame in 2020. To learn more about the report's findings and to understand the challenges of providing these services to patients during a pandemic, we spoke with Dr. Gregory Harris, the Senior Medical Director for Behavioral Health at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. On this episode of Managed Carecast, Dr. Harris describes his experience as a psychiatrist and offers some solutions to meet the growing demand for this field in the months and years following COVID-19. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Harris. To begin, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Sure, I'm Dr. Greg Harris. I'm the Senior Medical Director for Behavioral Health at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Massachusetts. I'm also a practicing psychiatrist, um, formerly in Brookline, Massachusetts, now currently um, telehealth only practice. And at Blue Cross, I I have a broad kind of portfolio of things that I do. I I run the physician and psychologist review unit um, um, internally, and then I do a lot of other um, things within the company. A recent Blue Cross Blue Shield analysis looked at data on mental health and substance use disorder claims during the COVID pandemic. What were some of the main findings of the report and did any surprise you? So we, um, we saw a very large um, uptick in um, claims uh, for outpatient services um, for both um, psychiatric care um, and um, psychotherapy for mental illness, as well as for substance use uh, treatment. So 10% for that and 20% for um, psychiatry. So that's a, a dramatic increase and not surprising to me because we've seen an increase in demand year over year uh, prior to the pandemic hitting. You know, there was an epidemic of um, a mental health epidemic prior with uh, suicide deaths and opioid deaths uh, predating the pandemic. And we were seeing year over year increases. And so this this was consistent. Um, what was really dramatic was the telehealth transformation in the field. And that was just astounding, really, from almost nothing to 8 million claims from, you know, March 2020 to March 2021 you know, the majority of those were um, telehealth visits for mental health and substance use disorders, uh, 54%, which is really amazing. And so what did Blue Cross Blue Shield do to meet this increase in demand for telehealth and mental health services? Well, we've been working with our uh, providers over years to sort of decrease barriers um, to access um, Hassle is uh, a primary uh, factor you hear about from providers. And so we've tried to 
um, work with provider groups and provider organizations um, to make it easier for them um, to work with us as a plan and with our members and decrease that kind of friction that um, providers can complain about. And I, what we saw that I think was partially responsible for the increase in um, access over the, the past several years prior to this. Um, for telehealth um, with COVID, I think there was a, a large expansion, you know, a, a, a decrease in barriers, a decrease in, you know, restrictions and increase in need um, that all kind of work together um, to create, I think, this transformation for telehealth access over the last year. So decrease more barriers. There were barriers um, that providers perceived having to do with, you know, payment and structure and all that went away. And, um, and then the, the need of providers and patients, our members, also went up. And um, so I think that all came together. Um, mental health uh, treatments is largely not a hands-on kind of specialty for psychiatry. Um, I, I still see patients. Um, and my, my personal practice um, underwent the same transformation. So my office was in Brookline. It was 98% in-person face-to-face visits. Very few uh, patients of my own were really interested in telehealth. And so it was a really sideline thing that I did. I had the ability to do it and rarely did it. And it was in person. And then um, one day in March last year, you know, I put out an announcement, there's a public health emergency and this is what's gonna happen. And here are the options that we had. And I had several options. And that's the way it's been for the year. And so I think the providers sort of did it out of necessity and the, the patients and our members also did it out of necessity. And I think there was some caution on both sides. Um, a lot of my patients weren't too keen on it, but they were glad to be able to see me. I was trying to get used to it. Um, but in the end, we've really learned. And what, what's amazing about telehealth is, you know, went from zero um, a year ago, no one was doing it to um, about 50% of uh, care was delivered by, by telehealth in that first couple of months of the pandemic. Um, but for mental health, it was, it went up to about 75%, 70, 75%, and it has stayed there. So it's dropped down for other specialties. So your ophthalmologist isn't doing that much via telehealth. You're, you're going in to see that type of medical specialty, but for psychiatry, it's still 70% telehealth a year later and um, showing no signs of decreasing. And you mentioned uh, sort of breaking down of barriers. So other people that we've talked to, other specialists in the field have said using telehealth has really helped lower no-show rates. Have you mm -hmm. found this in your practice as well? Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, I found it in my practice and colleagues that I speak with um, in all different settings, everything from me as an individual sort of practitioner seeing individual patients to clinics that often struggle with this, to um, colleagues who run intensive outpatient programs where somebody will step down to a program like that after a hospitalization, and it's hard to get them to do that all these different, very different settings, we're finding a sim similar thing with no-shows. And, and um, I even had a patient who has frequently 
no showed in in my you know physical office um something would come up and she would no show and um i had a video session with her and i um we tried to connect and she she effectively no showed me on the video um we started the connection and she disconnected and then but she picked up the phone and we had the session so having the flexibility the phone session ended up being certainly better than a no show right and so that having the different modality and i she she no show because she was in crisis and she had a conflict at home and that I, I got a window into something that i knew was going on previously but she wouldn't always be kind of presentable uh when she came into the office and so and if she wasn't presentable she would not come and um in this case having the different options you know allowed me to actually have a effective session with her um so you know it's really quite a different um option and it's much easier to reschedule people and for them to reschedule um so that kind of flexibility they're not driving to my office um i had another patient who had um we had said goodbye um in february because she was you know coming across town to my office and it was you know just more effort and she was doing better and then by the time she saw the next psychiatrist who transitioned to care, the pandemic had hit and he said to her, well, why are you seeing me? Why don't you just see Dr. Harris? You know, isn't he doing telehealth? And so, you know, we kind of pick things back up and that's, I think, how she'll want to just do it ongoing. So it's uh, that access is really helpful for a lot of people. What has it been like to be a practicing psychiatrist during the COVID pandemic? It's it's been um, exhausting to be honest, um, but um, gratifying. So I I have been able to maintain um, connections with my patients um, during a time of real crisis for them and for me, frankly, you know, for all of us. But um, and to be able to maintain that, um, you know, has been really amazing. And um, I never saw myself as wanting to be in a telehealth practice per se. I, I've spent my career before I came to Blue Cross and, you know, full-time practice and seeing patients. And that was always an in-person in the office <clears throat> experience. And um, so it's, it's a odd kind of experience, but to be able to, um, uh, you know, sort of accompany my patients through this crisis and um, with them has been really pretty special for me. And I think it's been really important for them um, to not have that gap in care, but it's exhausting. And, and it's been a learning curve of changing technologies and learning it and, and um, struggling with some, some patients, it's been harder. And um, I, I have to say also, I, I do see adults and I think for certain populations, it's harder, you know, um, some kids or, or um, young adults with developmental disorders, for example, there's, there's certain areas where telehealth is more complicated, but uh, for my patients and some geriatrics on the other end of the spectrum, it can be hard. I've had some patients struggle more with the technology. And, um, and so, but for the vast majority of my patients, I think that they're getting good, high quality connected care, taking them through the pandemic. It's just, we're having to sort of struggle instead of with their transportation to get to my office, we're struggling sometimes with the technology. All that being said, it's, it's really worked amazingly. And um, I've been able to 
you know, maintain these connections, um, which I think is really important. And I hear that from my other, you know, other colleagues doing the same thing, learning as they go, but really doing important work. Because, you know, it's really, we're in a mental health crisis. And I think if there had been a drop off in care for mental health, the way there was for ophthalmology or other uh, medical, more procedural specialists, I think we, we would have been in a much more difficult place than we, than we are. And uh, we're in a difficult place as far as anxiety, depression, mental health conditions being on the rise because of the pandemic. 60% of the mental health diagnoses reported in the BCBS report were for anxiety and 20% were for depression. Do you expect these trends to continue after the pandemic is quote over? Because we're not really sure when that's gonna be. Right, whatever over, um, uh, when it's over is complicated enough, but um, I I would look at the mental health um, consequences of the pandemic as having a very long tail um, compared to whenever the pandemic itself is over. Um, I think there's been grief, loss, a lot of people sort of focused on survival, safety, isolation, you know, getting through day by day. That's a sort of a trauma that's going on, which is, I think, where the anxiety is coming, why that number is so hard, uh, high. It, it covers a lot of um, ground of just anxiety, stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, grief, loss, a lot of things can kind of fold into that anxiety number. But I I think as the pandemic um, improves as we get past the state of emergency and we're into whatever comes next, I'm not sure that next phase is going to feel normal for a lot of people and particularly people who are struggling with mental health conditions that aren't going to just go away because um, the public health emergency is over. And I know Blue Cross Blue Shield has recently launched this Learn to Live initiative. Mm -hmm. And from what I've read, uh, 60% of these members enrolled had not previously been in therapy for these conditions. Do you think that they were, these conditions were going untreated or are these new onset? I think it's probably a combination. I think we we know that a lot of people with mental health conditions don't get treatment or they go to primary care and they get some treatment, but they're not in you know a traditional psychotherapy or psychiatry relationship um, and getting that kind of treatment. Uh, as, as high as two thirds for mental health and as high as 90% for substance use disorders are just really getting no treatment um, or very little treatment. So I, I think learn to live and programs like that that are self-directed and people can do them in the privacy of their own home and they're targeted at um, mild anxiety, depression, insomnia, and um, substance use. Um, they're, they're, it's skills-based. People can do it on their own. And I think it's a good opportunity for some people with milder um, anxiety, depression, who aren't getting treatment to get some sort of a treatment um, that is self-contained in Learn to Live. It's not technically a treatment, it's a self, um, self-directed self program, but they, they also can get warning signs from that program that there might be something more serious and that they should reach out for help. So I think there's a good opportunity there for, for, for that, the predated. I think also the numbers have gone up with the, the pandemic, there's been a doubling 
of um, people from CDC studies, um, people with uh, reported uh, mental health conditions. And so um, I think there's just uh, more people who need help and the system was uh, stressed for access before the pandemic. And so a doubling like that, you know, just uh, can overwhelm the system. And I think having other tools available um, is really helpful for people. One of the findings from the report that stood out to me was the biggest spike in telehealth mental health visits among those aged 25 to 34. What do you think accounted for that spike in that age group in particular? Well, I, I think um, we're seeing two things here. One is uh, mental health conditions tend to um, develop in the late teens and you know, into early adulthood. So, you know, from 18 to, you know, 34 would be, you know, that range. So, um, and as uh, sometimes there's often a delay, there's issues of stigma and shame. Some people don't get treatment right away. So that's an age uh, band that I would expect to be high. It might also be an age band that's, you know, more, open to telehealth. Um, that could be another piece. It's a little, that's somewhat speculative. Um, but I think the combination of, of those two things um, are, are accounting for some of that increase in number. I see. So like you said, we were in a mental health epidemic prior to COVID. The COVID crisis has really exacerbated the situation and it might not be going away for a while. So in your opinion, what are some solutions to meet this kind of unprecedented demand for services? Well, I think, first off, I think telehealth um, needs to continue in some uh, form um, going forward because I, I do think it helps um, for access to a, a lot of groups that have difficulty accessing uh, mental health care. Some of it's uh, for privacy and stigma issues. Some of it's just getting time off. It's, it's not trivial to um, uh, need to take off time in the middle of the day to get to a, an in-person visit and then get back to work. And some people don't have the privilege of being able to do that. So I think um, it's not a rural urban issue. It's, it's just really getting, having the flexibility to get access. And so that's, that's one thing that we're uh, going to do as a company is to um, continue telehealth um, try to continue it broadly beyond the um, end of the state of emergency. I think there's also some incentives that we've been trying to uh, put in place. One is child and psychiatry incentive program, where we've been trying to draw in um, child psychiatrists since this is um, pandemic has particularly helped um, affected young people. We're trying to help them by expanding the child psychiatrists in our network. Um, and um, another thing is to uh, orient towards primary care. So there's, there's incentive programs that we're putting in place um, to really kind of reshape how psychiatry, primary care um, interfaces. So there's something called the psychiatric collaborative care model. It's a kind of um, a mouthful of a phrase for this, but the idea is that you have um, a people are connected to their primary care doc and you empower the primary care physician to um, screen and begin the process of uh, mental health treatment 
with a consulting psychiatrist who helps that primary care doc um, treat the population of patients that are going to that primary care doc rather than seeing each one individually. So it's a collaborative process there. And then there's a care manager that helps um, uh, get the patient sort of going with some of the treatments that could be, you know, things like learn to live and um, help and guide them towards that. Or it could be motivational interviewing, sort of short-term therapy. And then if the person needs uh, more intensive or longer-term therapy or subspecialty, it can kind of come out of that. But you're starting your um, treatment of your mental health condition with your primary care the way you would with a lot of other conditions and sort of reorienting treatment. So it's a longer-term process, but you know, um, it's predicated under the idea that there aren't enough psychiatrists to really meet the need out there. So it's to sort of reorient um, the uh, primary care to take it on and psychiatry. And this is particularly true with substance use disorders where people aren't necessarily getting into treatment. So many people aren't and to, to have that screening and conversation going on in the primary care setting um, is, is one of the things. So those are a couple of um, ideas that we're doing um, to uh, increase access. Well, those were all the questions I had planned, but is there anything we didn't touch on you'd like to include, or do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share? To me, telehealth has been one of the, has been the lemonade of this pandemic, uh, the lemons that we've been um, given this past year with COVID. I, I've seen a kind of a reshaping in the field, but I, I feel like telehealth is a first step. It's not the answer, but it's, it's pushed the field to rethink um, how they deliver and shape care. And I think taking it to the next step and thinking about when a person would come into the office versus be seen in telehealth in some combination. That's, those are some of the things I'm really excited. I hear some of my colleagues talking about, you know, the things they would do in the office versus the things they would do versus uh, for telehealth and not that it's not an either or black and white where you have a telehealth practice or an in-person practice, but it's that the person needs treatment. And when is that best? in person and when is that best telehealth and how do we use both modalities to get the right care to the person when they need it uh, most and that to, to me that's a conceptual change that i hadn't seen much before the pandemic and it's another thing that i'm hopeful will help with access um, in the future great well thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today we really appreciate it thanks for having me about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.